This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express Card. And we here on Savor are what you might call food explorers. It has been our actual job to go to cool places and eat, like, a lot of the food there. And then talk about it. And then talk about it into these microphones, which is a crazy dream job. Yes. Well, if you're like us and willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people like us who are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hello and welcome to Savor, production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about Christmas ham. Yes. And what an episode it is. Uh, We were discussing this earlier. It turns out we're going to have to come back and do other episodes on different types of ham. Yeah, not even different (laughs) cuts of pork. Right. (laughs) Uh, Right. Just, Just different aspects of the ham process. (laughs) process. <laughs> there is yes. there is more ham to cover. <laughs> there is. There is a lot of ham to cover. This is a very fun one. Uh, I know we were, we've covered a lot of holiday topics, so this is sort of one we've been putting off for a while, but here we are. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those that I, you know, I thought, I was like, is there even enough to talk about? Huh, yes, yes, gentle listener, there is. Um, yes. But uh, but yeah, this is actually one that I have very little experience with. Yes. Um, and it turns out you're not alone. I was kind of surprised by how recent a lot of this is. Um, but my family, I grew up with a... Mm, I think the ham actually got introduced later, so I wouldn't say grow up with it. But I, when I was in college, a ham was added to our traditional... Christmas meal and okay. Thanksgiving meal. Um, oh, both. Huh. Both, yes. Because I think um, my mom and I prefer turkey. My two brothers and my dad preferred ham. Okay. So I think it was sort of like a, well, why don't we add in the ham? <laughs> and I, uh, as the person who cooks a lot of this along with my mom, a couple years ago, I was like, no more. <laughs> ah. There shall be no more ham. Because we had too much food. I had to come up with all these recipes on how to use up the ham, which a lot of them were very good. But then this is more work for me. And guess what? If you're not cooking, if you're not cooking the ham... <laughs> It's out. Yeah. <laughs> it's out. 
Yeah, it's no longer your decision after a certain point. Yeah, you got to pick your battles. Yeah, yeah. And I picked it. And then I, I, I went into a whole thing. I was like, you know what? You can have ham. Many times a year we have ham. There's other celebrations that How incorporate ham. How many times ham. a year do you have ham? <laughs> uh, actually, not so much anymore, but we usually have it on Easter. Okay. Um, and we used to have it a couple times throughout the year. Turkey, only Thanksgiving, Christmas. Ham, a couple times throughout the year. Huh. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is so I have literally never cooked a ham. I uh before doing this reading, I would have had no idea how to go about it. Um mm-hmm. I only very rarely had like a holiday ham when I was growing up. Um I guess mostly mostly because well, I mean like it's not just because I I grew up mostly with my Jewish side of the family because like we ate bacon cheeseburgers. It's not like we were keeping <laughs> kosher. Um, but right. uh, but yeah, it just wasn't the holiday go to. Um, in mm. most parts of my family, I had like a couple cousins who would do a Christmas ham, and so if mm-hmm. I was hanging out with them, then that would happen. But yeah, um, yeah, I don't, I don't really get it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't really understand. I mean, maybe I just haven't had like a really good one. Um, and so maybe mm-hmm. I do need to make one and like, you know, find all the little like tricks that I like and the flavors that I like and make it like mm-hmm. right for me. Um, mm-hmm. But eh, yeah, I'm, I'm really I'm really ham neutral. <laughs> I get it because it's it's hard to explain. But basically to me, the ham and this is all personal. Nobody get offended, okay? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, the ham is like the, like your very hard hit of salt. And we would never put the um, like sugar glazing or maple glazing, oh, anything uh-huh. like that. So we didn't have the sweet part going on, which I get a lot of people like. But that was never our thing. So it's like it's like if you, you've got your kind of turkey feels healthier and it's lighter uh-huh. flavored, whereas ham is like hit you in your face salt. So it's like a really quick fix. Of flavor and it's really when we would cook it, it's like really maximized per bite. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I get that. I get that. Huh. Hmm. I yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I guess pork in general is not like my favorite. Anyway, it doesn't. It, it, this is all <laughs> uh, uh, beside the point. Uh huh. Yes. <laughs> People do have strong opinions about it. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. As with any other, um, especially like holiday related food, right? Yeah. Like there's so much personal opinion and nostalgia wrapped up in it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just funny to me because a lot of this episode did break down to like people who prefer turkey versus people who prefer ham at, on holidays. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which speaking of, you can see our turkey episode. Um. You can also see any sausage episode that we've done. Sure, yeah, a, a lot of the a lot of the meat episodes do touch on on some of the things we're going to talk about in some way. Uh, pastrami, corned beef, bacon. Uh, was there something else? I don't. I don't know. I it, <laughs> it was hours and hours ago. <laughs> Oof. Hours, you say? Could mm. could have been anything. <laughs> could have been. <laughs> Well, I guess this brings us to our question. Yeah. Christmas ham. What is it? Well, uh, 
A Christmas ham can be a lot of things, but what you are generally looking at is a portion of the rear leg of a pig that's been somehow cured, um, meaning a preserved using things like salt or sugar, maybe smoked, and then baked or roasted, often with some kind of a sweet holiday spiced glaze on the outside. So they're, they're big and impressive and decorative, as shiny and crisp on the outside and chewy tender on the inside, salty and savory and sweet with hints of warming spices and, and gentle contrasts from any kind of like glaze or topping ingredients like fruit or maple syrup. Uh, they're they're opulent but also homey. Uh, they're like they're like if a gingerbread house were a main dish and salty, a salty <laughs> main dish gingerbread house mm. made of pork. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the image you're painting in my mind is. <laughs> Excellent, excellent. Oh, <laughs> uh, um, all right. So ham is a category and and legally can mean different things in, in different places, uh, especially uh, with different modifying words attached. Um, you know, you can have a ham with an actual pig's bone still in it, uh, or a ham that is made of bits of pork that have been um, industrially separated and then smooshed back together in a different order. But the ham section of a pig um, is its meaty hind leg, uh, starting above the the, the hoof and ankle structure, um, which which are the trotters and the hocks, um, and then going up the the lower half of the leg, which is the shank, and then across the equivalent of the knee, yeah, yeah, and then up the, the thigh portion, which is called the butt or the sirloin, uh, to where the leg meets the hip. Um, the, the shank plus the butt is the whole ham. Um, and it's sort of a lot. Like, you're looking at, like, 15 to 20 pounds meat. That's, like, 7 to 9 kilos. That's, like, a bunch. Um, so these days, uh, hams are often produced or at least sold separately, uh, shank and sirloin separately. The shank is usually a little fattier and, like, can be easier to carve because cause it's just, like, a single bone that you have to deal with in there. Um, and and the, the meat is a little bit, like, like tighter. Um, but, you know, if you can get around that hip joint, some people prefer a sirloin. Uh, one of those things. Depends on, depends on what you want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All these memories are coming flooding back. <laughs> no. Me angrily cutting into the ham like, ah! <laughs> I liked it. It was just too much. And even my brothers admitted this year it was overkill. Too much. Oh, well, I'm glad. I'm glad that they understood. Yes, they did. They did. And in fact, I was telling them about all my battles to <laughs> my mom is very much the type who's like, you haven't had enough food and there's too much food. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was like my battles to cut down on all the food she makes. And we were we made a plan to cut down on the day before Christmas has now gotten out of hand. Oh, um, I know. So <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> What happens? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I love the traditions that develop around like the day before and the day after yes. Christmas and all of the other foods that come sneaking in when you're like, I'm about to prepare a feast, an actual I know. feast. <laughs> exactly. What is happening? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So once you've got your cut of pork, uh, the next step in making it a ham is probably curing it. Um, we talked about curing a few times on the show. It's when you preserve something, and usually you're talking about meat, by making it inhospitable to microbes. Most microbes need water, uh, and meat has a bunch of water in it, so you want to get that water out, or like, uh, like, like, like tie it up. 
Like, have you ever given a child or a uh, well-meaning friend or parent, uh, like, like a, I'm on, give you something to do over here kind of task? <laughs> yes. Like, that's that's sort of what you're looking to do with the water in ham to make it less hospitable to microbes. Okay. Luckily for us, uh, sugar and salt, aside from being delicious, uh, are hygroscopic, meaning that they draw water to themselves and, and sort of occupy it. So if you either uh, apply salt and or sugar to the surface of a cut of meat or soak the meat in a brine made with that stuff, uh, molecules of the salt and or sugar will work their way into the meat via osmosis and occupy the water. Uh, microbes cannot use it and the meat lasts longer. Uh, this also adds uh, some some salty and sugary flavor and flavor from any other spices or seasonings that you put into that brine or rub. And um, it does this cool physical thing. Okay, so salt loosens up uh, fibers of protein in meat. Uh, part of what can make cooked meat dry, like, like, like a dry turkey, is that the, the fibers will tighten up during cooking and squeeze out moisture. Um, so keeping those fibers loose will keep the meat more juicy as it cooks. Good times there. Uh, now, if you find the right butcher, you can buy a fresh ham. And do this at home. I mean, or just cook it however you want to. You don't have to cure it if you don't want to. Um, but most hams sold, certainly in the United States, are already cured. And they fall into two categories. Um, brine-cured city hams and dry-cured country hams. <laughs> these are, like, the official names for these okay. products. Okay? This uh -huh. isn't like country, country mouse, city mouse. Like, it's not... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a little bit of a difference of perspective, I suppose, because people have very strong opinions about which one yes. they want. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Um, also, I will say that, that that regionally further confusing the issue, um, any of these salt cured hams might be called corned hams um, because the, the, the term the term corned uh, comes from the kernels or grains uh, or corns uh, of salt that are used in the curing process. Mm. With me? Mm. Yes. I'm a little, I'm befuddled, but amused. So. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Same. Ham, hams are befuddling. That's, yeah, that's, yes. that's where we are. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> okay. So, so city hams are um, soaked in brine uh, or more inexpensively, uh, but more rapidly injected with brine. Um, the process might take anywhere from a couple days to a few weeks. You wind up with a hunk of pork that's um, still pretty moist. Uh, it'll probably be smoked or perhaps baked low and slow um, so that it is fully cooked when it's sold. It might be really pink in color from the addition of a preservative called sodium nitrite during the brining process, which helps uh, stabilize the fats in meat and also prevents the growth of the type of bacteria that cause botulism. Either way, um, uh, city hams are usually served in like big, thick slices, um, typically cut in a spiral away from, from a shank bone. You can also buy boneless hams, uh, which are brine cured hams that have had the bones removed and that are pressed back into like a kind of cylindrical almost footballish sort of shape. Um, they can be pretty cohesive due to that um, salt protein fiber action, um, plus the addition of little uh, bits of processed ham as, as, as filler. Yeah. Flavor-wise, 
all of that watery brine that you're introducing um, can sort of dilute the ham flavor of your ham. I mean, like, yes, you've got like salt and sugar and seasonings in there, but you're diluting the the the, the hamminess. Um, this is one case where, where less is more. Less water is generally considered more desirable in the finished product. Um, if you're buying a ham, the packaging should indicate um, either the percentage of water added by weight or, or some terminology that, like, might sound complicated, but it's actually fairly self-explanatory when you, like, see it laid out. Um, in the United States, there are four categories of ham, which, which are ham, which, which, which is ham. Yeah, um, okay. <laughs> no, no water added. Um, then there's ham with natural juices, which has, like, a little bit of water. Ham, water added, which has a bit more water. And then ham and water product. Um, which can be almost a quarter added water by weight. Ooh. <laughs> However, you can escape all of this mess by going with a country ham. Uh, country hams are coated with a dry rub and then hung in a, uh, a cool, arid environment to let the rub work its way into the meat and push water molecules out over the course of, like, months. Um this is the same basic process that we described in our prosciutto uh, fraud episode. I, again, we probably have to come back to prosciutto at some point anyway. Um, right. <laughs> uh, country ham might be smoked, but it's often sold without ever seeing heat, um, which is fine and safe. Uh, you wind up with a drier, saltier, chewier, um, like deep red colored and kind of hammier ham. Um, so, uh, so if you're going to serve it like you would a city ham, it typically has to be, um, soaked and probably steamed to, to get some of the salt out and kind of like reconstitute it just a tiny bit. Um, I understand this is usually served sliced a little bit thinner. I'm not totally sure I've ever had one. Oh, I definitely have. This is fun. I'm like, I've got experience in the country and the city. I've seen them both. <laughs> Ooh, do you have a preference? Um, I generally, I feel like I, this is going to make people angry, but oh, when yeah. I was a kid, I actually liked the city ham better. Um, because the, that, that usually entailed, I think I talked about this in our he episode, but we used to make English peas, mashed potatoes, ham. Okay. And so yeah, I yeah. liked that whole oh, meal. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, whereas a country ham... It usually had the, I wasn't a huge fan of like the sugar glaze and okay. it usually had that on top of it. Um, it, it was huh. in my experience, sliced thinner. Um, it just had like a sweetness that I think a lot of people appeals to a lot of people. But for me, that was, I liked the salt, huh. like the punch of salt in your sure, face. Sure, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sweet and salty isn't for everyone at all times in their life. So sure, mm -hmm, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, anyway, th thank you, thank you. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> In, in both of these cases, uh, what you're doing at home is really just bringing the ham up to serving temperature. Um, you're not cooking it because it's already been cooked in one way or another. Um, there might be scare quotes involved because you're, you're technically cooking with, like, time and salt rather than heat. But, but right, at any point. Um, I understand that this is not always the case internationally. Um, like like in other countries, um, a cured ham might be sold totally unsmoked and uncooked. So uh, yeah, ch check the packaging. Ask your butcher. I don't I don't want 
no, no, please nobody get food poisoning on my account. No, <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> and and in any case, um, safe internal temperature for pork is somewhere around uh, 140 Fahrenheit, um, which is 60 Celsius, or maybe, maybe like a couple degrees lower. You can your your mile, mileage may vary. Again, at, at, ch- check with your local health institution. <laughs> which is not us. Which nope. is not us. No. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, lots of people do like a glaze. Um, if you're going to apply this, you apply it towards the end of the heating process. Um, often you'll cut like a crosshatch into the surface of the ham first, then take um, take some kind of syrup that you've simmered up using uh, uh, sweeteners like brown sugar or honey or maple syrup, maybe a jelly or a marmalade, maybe Coca-Cola or some kind of wine, um, maybe some orange juice or orange peel. Maybe some warming spices like clove or nutmeg or mustard or ginger. Um, And then, yeah, uh, uh, cook it into a syrup and baste the ham with this a couple times as it finishes. Um, Some recipes even call for, like, flour or breadcrumbs to add a little bit of crunch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you might decorate a ham by um, studding the crosshatch with whole cloves or candied cherries um, or arranging slices of fruit like rings of pineapple or apple or orange or pear across the surface. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be served as the main dish in family-style holiday meals. We're talking specifically today about Christmas, but as Annie said, this can happen for, for other kind of special occasions. Um, uh, with lots of starchy sides, sometimes a vegetable. I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh, seasonings might be adjusted depending on the time of year or the holiday in question. And and from what I understand, this is a very like you always have so much leftovers and uh, it's very popular in like sandwiches and casseroles, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. We would make the soup was my biggest hit. We oh. would make like a potato ham soup Ooh. and people loved it too bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the holiday spirit. Never will I make the dish that you actually want. Only what I want. <laughs> oh, love it. Yeah. All right. They can learn to cook what they like. That's true. That's true. Uh, well, <laughs> what about the nutrition? Uh, it does depend upon the ham in question. Um, there does tend to be a lot of salt involved in the ham. Um, it can have a bunch of added sugars. It will have a good punch of protein, though. Um, uh, tends to be actually less fatty than turkey, um, depending on what type of what 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 uh, cut of turkey you're consuming, whether or not you're consuming the skin. Uh, you know, eat a vegetable, drink water. I yeah. Yes, yes. As always, vegetables, water, big fans. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We do have some numbers for you. We do. We do. According to Time Magazine, Americans buy up around 318 million pounds of ham around the holidays. Just Christmas. Not this, this is not including Thanksgiving. This is just Christmas. Um, and pound for pound, this is just about as much turkey as we buy for Christmas. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, an informal mashed study found that 36 of respondents said that Christmas ham was their favorite holiday dish. Okay. All right. Um, mm-hmm. I think that was here in the States. I believe that ham is a favorite holiday dish in Australia up around like 43% mm-hmm. at the time. That's I read somewhere it was popular in Australia too. So yeah. Australian listeners... Please let us know. Oh, yeah. Everyone who has a ham experience that is yes. different from this, 
yes. like a, like a holiday ham experience. I'm not talking about like a, like a cold cut of prosciutto or something like, but mm-hmm. right. But this type of ham roast, I want to know right. about it. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Uh, this year, 2022, uh, prices of ham are up like 15 to 30 percent over last year um, due to a number of factors, including the avian flu epidemic, um, uh, making uh, uh, turkey and chicken more expensive and therefore making more people turn to ham and then therefore making ham more expensive. Also, the continued COVID pandemic, um, uh, supply chain and worker issues which have reduced overall U.S. pork production by 3.2% this year. I did see a couple of articles I, I couldn't get past the paywall, but it, listeners, again, if, if you have experience, but about like Spain specifically and how important ham is to certain holiday celebrations in Spain, and it's had a lot of like oh, uh, ups yeah. and downs yeah. with supply chain issues. So yeah, uh, let us know. I never heard of this either, but every year in Maryland, the St. George Island Improvement Association holds a ham stuffing ceremony right before Christmas. Uh, it's a bring your own ham experience. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and then you stuff it. Uh, this is a regional specialty of a corned ham that is filled with vegetables and spices. And from what I read, like you can kind of tell like, oh, this is Northern Maryland or Southern Maryland oh. based on, oh, they put kale in there, oh, they did this, or oh, they did this. Oh, that's so um, cool. I have not heard cool? of this ever. Me either. Listeners again, please write in because I love this. <laughs> Bring your own ham. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. but like, but like what vegetables, what, what spices, what, oh, okay. Yes. All right, cool. Yes. It's kind of like your gingerbread thing. It's like a very meaty, proteiny version of like going to a build your own gingerbread house. <laughs> <laughs> and I adore it. I adore it. Cool. Um, we, we actually are going to talk about uh, a bit more about how that got started in the history section. We are. Uh, and we will get to that in just a moment. But first, we are going to get into a quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressings, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express Card. And we are what you might call food explorers. We are so lucky that a part of our job involves traveling and trying a lot of the food where we go to travel and then coming back here and telling all of you good listeners about it. And through that, we have discovered some amazing dishes. Sure, yes. Like, I had never understood what poke really could be. And it is delightful. It is stunningly good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which we had a lot of on our trip to Hawaii. Uh, Another thing from their passion fruit I now look for in literally every menu that I read. I'm like, yep, that one has passion fruit. Going for it. And then all of the moles, and especially the green mole that you heard us talk about recently that we had in Las Vegas. In Vegas, yeah. Oh, Or just steak basements. Who doesn't love a steak basement? Exactly. (laughs) 
Well, um, if you are like us and you're willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card. It's for people who, like us, are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. We're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And yes, this is still not our pork episode and nope. apparently not our last ham episode nope. even. <laughs> no. But uh, that being said, <laughs> we have discussed multiple times on this show the importance of preserving foods, including meat, um, so that they last through lean times or over long journeys, especially perhaps. Um, and so in that spirit, humans have been curing pork for thousands of years, possibly as far back as 4,900 BCE in China. Some of the first records indicate mm-hmm. people were curing curing pork. Um, we've also talked in several episodes about the tradition born of necessity of slaughtering pigs before winter sets in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, you've got these pigs. You need, you need meat or food to last you through the winter. Maybe you can't feed your pigs through the winter. So you slaughter them. And then you have this feast and you cure the leftovers, which is a way to preserve them mm-hmm. to get through the harsh, cold months. Um, some speculate one of the earliest examples of the Christmas ham may have been wild boar. This this story takes a bit of a twist, but just stick with me with it, okay? <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Okay. All right. So may have been wild boar, which the Norse people associated with the god of fertility and good weather and therefore would sacrifice these boar for this god. Um, and then after game hunts, Germanic pagans would serve their catch, which may have included ham at Yuletide feasts and winter solstice events, festivals. We've talked about those in the past. Um, and yeah, to extremely simplify a very complex <laughs> issue, basically European Christians were trying to combine slash supersede their celebrations and religions with these pagan ones. But they would take pieces of feasting from pagan traditions and repurpose them. Um, and as part of this, boar perhaps grew to be associated with St. Stephen. But there's not a lot to back this up. This is one of those things where, like, everything I read wrote about this. But then the more you, you dug into it, yeah. it was like, I, I don't. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's it's really speculative possibly apocryphal um Mm -hmm. just yeah uh who knows who knows uh we'll have more about it later but it was one of those i know we've talked about this before but sometimes especially for me 
Uh, I don't know about your experience, Lauren, but I'll be like, oh, I, I feel like I've got the grasp of the story. Here we go. And then I find one source that's like, no, all of this is wrong. It's like, certainly not. Uh-uh. Yes. Nah. No. <laughs> so it's like a big, like, heck and twist heck. for me. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But more on that in a second. More on that in a second. Um, ham and curing techniques traveled from China to Europe along trade routes. Um, some sources specifically credit Marco Polo <laughs> with popularizing these techniques in Europe huh. after his return from China in the 1200s, um, which we've seen happen in many. That's another thing that I think is just often apocryphal. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's not to say ham wasn't in Europe before then. It was. And in fact, there's a recipe from the second century CE for ham with figs. Ooh. I think it was out of Rome, but I it wasn't specified. Um, but yeah, so it was around. It was around. People were eating it. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, some records suggest that boar meat was being served as part of Christmas feast by the 1200s in Europe. Um, by the Middle Ages, the heads of pigs were not uncommon at European Christmas feast, um, which you can find recipes for. Oh, yeah. Those cheeks are delicious. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And apparently some people would wear boar masks as part of it. Ooh. And I'm like, it was written as it was supposed to be kind of a silly, fun thing that people did. Huh. But I'm like, I've seen too many horror movies. Yeah. Too yeah. Many horror that movies. is, that is, well, okay. I was about to say it's way more metal than my Christmas celebrations. But, <laughs> but honestly, I go to a lot of like Krampus festivities yes, around this do. time of year. So it's about equally metal. It's, yeah, yes, like 50 50 yes. yeah. metal returns. Yeah. There are a lot of metal Christmas traditions, actually, that we've talked we've talked about some on this show where I'm like, whoa. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every time I think I'm weird, I'm like, organized religion. Y'all do it. <laughs> I wish we could find more about that, like, cookie where you cut the head off. Listeners, again, <laughs> please let us know. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, these, like, cooked boar heads would serve as the centerpiece at yeah. some Christmas yeah, yeah. meals. Um, and I did find some recipes from that time that have I advised to recreate like the the fur of the boar by rubbing the meat with lard and ash which is kind of like our our lamb cake episode I'm telling you <laughs> it's intense that's it's great intense. okay yeah uh by the 17th century many colonists in North America were raising pigs um and yeah they were introduced to the Americas in the 1600s and so Oh, gosh, to, comp- to simplify another complex thing, basically, that meant that pork processing and products were all over the globe around this time. Mm-hmm. Like, it was happening pretty much everywhere. And that corned ham, that corn spice ham from Maryland I mentioned at the top, well, some historians think that this tradition came with the first colonists who were essentially trying to make ingredients stretch. So, let's stuff this ham with stuff. Um, others think that enslaved people in the area were given small hams and filled them with what they could get their hands on to make it more filling and longer lasting. Yeah. Um, the, the dry cured country ham, as, as we know it, uh, was developed, uh, around the South, uh, sometime in the 1700s, combining these techniques that, that write like earliest colonists would have, uh, learned from Native Americans along with uh, ham technology from lots of different European colonists um, and also from the techniques brought over and developed by enslaved peoples. Right. And several other regional versions of ham started popping up during this time. Um, Recipes for glazed hams date back to the 1800s. Ham was a fairly common dish in North In North America by the 18th and 19th century, and it was featured on Christmas menus going back to the 1700s, but 
it really wasn't a common Christmas dish at the time. And it was a lot of the things I read implied, like, that's kind of what you ate if you couldn't get a turkey. Like, it, it was, you ate it right. not at holidays. You right. ate it, like, like, year-round. Yeah, pork was something, and especially, like, a cured pork was something you mm. ate year-round. Like, why would you have that right. for a special occasion? Right. Um, and that really, like I said, didn't change until pretty recently. It was the mid 20th century that cured pork thigh, uh, what a lot of us would call ham or spiral ham, became this thing that most of us who have a Christmas ham, it's what we think of is this. Yeah. Um, in fact, the first mentions of Christmas ham in the U.S. didn't take place until the 1900s. And still, Christmas turkey was far more popular. There's actually a really great article that compares <laughs> like oh, the, the numbers timeline? and mentions. Yes, oh, I love it's it. It's cool. <laughs> it was intense. It was like 13 times more popular turkey was than ham. Um, this relative lateness of Christmas ham is one of the reasons most historians think that that story, that popularly circulated story linking Christmas ham to paganism and pagan festivals isn't true. Oh, um, uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. it's pretty it's pretty recent. Um, most early recipes of Christmas ham in American and European cookbooks indicate that this was just a ham served at Christmas. So it didn't have like a specific type of preparation or anything. Um, though there were a few exceptions that usually involved boiling and baking the ham. A lot of other steps, to be honest. I'm simplifying this too. But hmm. uh, then you would serve it with a coating of breadcrumbs, which I've never had. Um, that was a first. Yeah, me. yeah, me neither. Mm-hmm. Companies that made ham uh, in the U.S. started promoting ham recipes in the early 1900s, including one for a holiday ham in 1916. In the 1930s, one of these campaigns was done in conjunction with the American Honey Institute. And this campaign touted ham glazed with honey and eventually led to the creation of the Honey Baked Ham Company. <laughs> huh. Yes, which I have a friend... I think I've told this word before, but she's so niche. She always gets that for her events. And it's one of those things that just endears me to her so much. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, A U.S. patent for the device used for spiral ham was filed in 1944. And honestly, that was the point where I was like, oh, this has to be multiple episodes because (laughs) this is a whole thing. This is a whole thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. When I found that patent, I was sort of like, oh, no. (laughs) Yes. I will tell you, I will leave you with this teaser. Go look up old honey baked ham advertisements oh yeah because they're wonderful one of them includes the phrase it's so good it will haunt you like wow i love it (laughs) it will haunt you (laughs) and then one of them is all about the creator and it's like some people do something with their lives essentially applying like you didn't but he did Huh. Wow. Yeah, Both pretty of those good. are great. I all right. Yeah, yeah sure. Cool. Cool. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Look <laughs> look those up. Um, this is also around the time that companies started to advertise making what I would call fancy dressed up hams that have like the, you know, pineapple slices and the maraschino cherries, those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. Uh I will say that the the first honey baked ham uh company store, like like shop, opened in 1957 in Detroit. And they now have over 400 locations around the United States. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Christmas ham experienced a surge in the U.S. in the 1960s. One of the main reasons for that is because during this time, the price of ham dropped uh, compared to turkey, especially because it, it was a very much like turkey versus ham. Mm-hmm. That's been the conversation around it yeah. <laughs> most, of the, most of the time. Um, 
from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. In the 1950s, ham cost about 62 cents, which was cheaper than most other meats at the time. Another key part of this was location. Uh, The conditions for dry curing required a certain temperature. And I read all about this thing called the ham belt. But essentially, a good portion of the U.S. can do this is in the ham belt. Um, And then... On top of that, advancements in technology helped popularize the Christmas ham, too, like the fast curing process that allowed for more production and lower prices. Canned ham was introduced in the 1920s, and it cut out the tedious boiling step that a lot of them ham had required before. Um, And these newer products were advertised as being more tender, juicier, more flavorful, and less salty. Um, Less salty. And this is when ham really solidified itself as part of many people's Christmas spread. Yeah, yeah. Uh, This is kind of talking about the switch from pretty much exclusively a country ham situation, Mm -hmm. a dry dry rub situation, to a um, increasingly city ham brined situation. And, And the technologies involved thereof. Uh, yeah, it was, I, (laughs) I, I really meant to do a whole add on section here about like kind of unpacking all of that. And then I was like, it's too, I have not, I've not planned my time well enough. I can't. (laughs) (laughs) It really is a lot. And I love how many people trace very specific details about very specific types of ham and the technologies involved. Oh, yeah, yeah. It is It is so fascinating and wonderful. Yes. Um, and, and especially, right, when you get into, you know, like I, I said that this, this dry cured ham developed in the American South in the 1700s, right? Like researchers have pinpointed different specific styles and different sp- specific technologies to all of these different peoples over this course of time in in different areas and it's just like oh wow i mean cool Mm -hmm. i mean absolutely awesome Mm -hmm. but beyond the scope of the christmas ham i am afraid (laughs) that's true (laughs) the christmas ham you know only once a year uh but <laughs> other ham episodes for sure because it is fascinating and there was so much where i was like oh I want to read about that, but I don't yeah. have the time. It's not it's pertinent necessarily to this. Yeah. Um, um, well, yeah, I mean, right. Like, so so if we totally skipped over your very yes. favorite ham traditions or or yes. types, then uh then write in and be like, no, you need a whole episode about this thing. And yes. you know, heck, we'll do it. Oh, you know we will. Um uh-huh. and also, yeah, around the around the world, because I know. The UK is kind of on par with the US when it comes to the Christmas ham, but other places do it too. So yeah, let us let us know. Yes. Yes. But I, that is what we have to say about the Christmas ham for now. It is. Uh, we do have some listener mail for you though, and we will get into that as soon as we get back from one more quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. 
And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card. And we are what you might call food explorers. We are so lucky that a part of our job involves traveling and trying a lot of the food where we go to travel and then coming back here and telling all of you good listeners about it. And through that, we have discovered some amazing dishes. Sure, yes. Like, I had never understood what poke really could be, and it is delightful. It is stunningly good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which we had a lot of on our trip to Hawaii. Uh, another thing from their passion fruit I now look for in literally every menu that I read. I'm like, yep, that one has passion fruit. Going for it. And then all of the moles, and especially the green mole that you heard us talk about recently that we had from in Las Vegas. In Vegas, yeah. Oh, or just steak basements. Who doesn't love a steak basement? Exactly. <laughs> well, um, if you are like us and you're willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people who, like us, are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with Spiral. Spiral. Kale wrote, I was listening to your gravy episode and I thought I'd give a shout out to a local restaurant here in Eugene, Oregon. The Cornbread Cafe serves what they call vegan comfort food, and holy crap, is it good. Hmm. From their mac on cheese <laughs> to their chicken fried tempeh, and yes, the cornbread too, it's enough to make one absolutely ravenous. Eh? <laughs> gravenous. Uh, which brings me to my favorite item, the brown cashew gravy. Ooh. I don't know how they did it, but I somehow prefer this gravy over traditional forms of the sauce. I'm not sure I could drink a liter of it, <laughs> but I definitely don't hold back when I indulge. No regrets. So, if you ever find yourself in this part of the Pacific Northwest, I highly recommend giving it a try. Guy Fieri has even given it his stamp of approval. Mm. Mm. That sounds good to me. That does sound good. I mean, I'm I'm into I'm into comfort food no matter yes. when and how and where. Um but yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Duly noted. Points for pun. Points right? for pun. Yeah, forever <laughs> out there. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is definitely on our list. Okay. Yes. Um, Megan wrote, I listened to the Hot Chocolate podcast last week, and I was totally nerd sniped by the question of whether marshmallows cool down a mug of hot chocolate or keep it warm longer. In case you're not fans of the webcomic XKCD, uh, nerd sniping is when you ask a nerd an interesting but difficult to answer question and distract them from whatever they were doing. In my case, instead of grading my class's lab reports, I tried to come up with an experiment to find out the effect of marshmallows and hot chocolate. Conveniently for me, my husband is also a physicist, so I nerd sniped him too. And between the two of us, I think we can figure it out. I'm actually planning to suggest the experiment we came up with as an activity for my department holiday party this year, because what better way for physicists to celebrate winter than to learn about the thermodynamics of hot chocolate? I'll write back with the results if the experiment works out. There's also other interesting physics involved, uh, appropriately called the hot chocolate effect, where if you tap on the bottom of a mug of hot chocolate or any hot liquid, the pitch of the sound will increase as the air bubbles originally trapped in the hot liquid escape. Finally, I don't think I emailed in after you read my induction email in a listener mail, um, but thank you so much for saying my class where I teach how induction works sounds cool. Unsurprisingly, I'm not told that my classes are cool very often, and I really appreciate it. Well, that's a shame <laughs> and ridiculous because it yes. does sound cool. It do- it, so- it sounds heckin' awesome. It does. And so does this. I cannot yes. wait to hear about your thermodynamics of hot chocolate oh, experiment. This makes like, me so happy. so excited. <laughs> right? Yes. I love it. I love that this is something you do at your holiday parties. That's fantastic. That's wonderful. Oh, wow. goodness. Oh, also, I, I will say um, um, update about the marshmallow cream spread on, uh-huh. on hot chocolate. Yeah, um, uh, I still haven't tried it, but Super Producer Andrew highly recommended it as well. He did. Yeah. He did. This is very important science hot chocolate experiments yeah. uh, and updates we're getting. So Yeah. We we need you. We appreciate it. We didn't mean to nerd snipe you, but we're glad that we did. Oh yeah, I, I I'm actually not sorry that. You... <laughs> yes, I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, well, we look forward. We look forward to hearing back about that. Um, thanks to both of these listeners for writing in. Mm-hmm. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We are also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod, and we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. 
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.